0: The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Inspira podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Inspira podcast, hosted by your girl, me, Erica Mueller-Chen. I'm an international development specialist with over a decade of experience leveraging the amazing power of sport to promote peace and positive social impact. My career has allowed me to live in Europe, Southern Africa, and Latin America. In 2022, I accepted an offer for my dream job in sports diplomacy. And I also became an employee family member to a US diplomat. AKA an EFM. This podcast is all about inspiration and career advice. Each episode, I'll interview an inspirational global change maker working in sport for development, social impact, or the diplomatic service. This series is perfect if you have interest in breaking into one of these sectors or you've already landed that dream role and are keen to learn from thought leaders. Enjoy today's
1: episode and stay inspired. By myself, I didn't expect working in the sports sector, uh, to be honest. What I found is that there are similarities uh, between sports sector and public law and policy. And uh, that is the way we solve problems. What I learned and studied through public law and policy, when you encounter some social problems, we try to solve them from an economical manner or a communicational manner.
0: Welcome, friends. Today's special guest is Atsuko Yamada. Atsuko previously worked for the United Nations Office on Sport for Development and Peace, also known as UNOSDP, based in Geneva as a program officer. Now back in Japan, Atsuko is currently the Head of International Sport for Development at Japan Sport Council. She was deeply involved in the creation of the very robust guidebook titled Bridging the Divide in Sport and Sustainable Development which is available in english and japanese and soon spanish she brings a wealth of sport for development experiences and i'm so excited to learn from her today Atsuko, welcome to the podcast how are you today and where are you calling us from
1: <laughs> thank you Erika. i'm doing all right and today i'm calling from tokyo japan
0: Thank you. I know you are living in the future uh, compared to a lot of us. So I know it's already <laughs> tomorrow for you, which, which makes me giggle a little bit. Well, one thing I like to do before we jump into the questions at Suko is because I've titled this podcast Inspira, I like to start with a little bit of inspiration. And at Suko you inspire me because we were actually able to collaborate briefly. I think it was back in 2015 or 2016 when you were in Geneva and I was working for a Paralympic NGO and I think at the time the team I was on were implementing partners of a project in Haiti and I think you were working on overseeing the entire project from afar and all of our interactions were just so organized, so calm and peaceful and nice and you were just so supportive of that project and of the team I was on. It was a real, real pleasure and I'm so happy to be staying connected with you after all of this time one more thing that i really admire about you and your journey is that you've gained such impactful experiences in the sport for development sector on a global scale as well as in your home country of japan
1: well thank you so much for your kind compliment (laughs) i'm so happy to hear that
0: Etsuko, to start with, I can ask you to share a brief overview of your career journey and perhaps what led to your interest in the sport for development and peace sector.
1: Sure. Um, I have been engaged in the sport sector since 2009. And at the beginning, I was involved in high performance sport. Uh, as a member of national project, which aimed at winning more medals at 2012 London Olympic Games by utilizing sport science, medicine and intelligence. So it was after 2012 uh, that I started working in SDP field. And as as I have seen that the national budget for sport has been increasing year after year in Japan Especially after Japan won the bid for Tokyo 2020 Olympic and Paralympic Games, I, I often contemplated that what is the public interest to invest in sport, which mainly led me to this SDP field, I think. So uh, at that time, I thought uh, if sport could really contribute to solve social issues, then there would be a relevant that the government invest in sport. So that's how I was involved in the SDP field.
0: That's really interesting to think about the performance side of sport, which probably most people in the world are much more familiar with, and then transitioning to the development side and really that impact on people and communities is is really meaningful. I would love to know a little bit more about the landscape in Japan and perhaps what types of organizations or what types of priorities related to sport for development and peace have you been able to observe?
1: Well, so I would say that SDP is still new in Japan. Um, according to the survey that our organization, Japan Sport Council, conducted in 2017, um, many people answered they had no idea of using sport as a tool for a development peace, and they didn't know how to take SDP policy. So, so that's why JSC tries to raise their awareness about SDP and tries to embed it into their policy and strategies now. So uh, that's true that there, there are some uh, Support for Development Peace organizations, uh, whether they are the, uh, the national federations or non governmental organization, non profitable organizations. But I wouldn't say there are so many in Japan.
0: Do you feel like that might change in the future, or is it kind of hard to know and anticipate?
1: Well, I think uh, they they have just started understanding the usefulness of sport as a tool. So I hope that trend would change in future and our organizations uh, try to make them understand uh, its usefulness all over Japan?
0: I want to recognize the various professional roles that you've had in the sector, perhaps despite the sector not being well known about in Japan. I am so impressed that you had a role at UNOSDP and now you're at Japan Sport Council. In my view, those are two high profile and really great named organizations. Like they have really strong reputations especially sport for development. I'm really curious in reflecting on your experience, getting jobs at those organizations. Are you able to share any insights? Maybe what was helpful for you to secure those opportunities and find paid work in the sector, which I know can be a real challenge for people all over the world?
1: Hmm. Well, so My educational background has nothing to do with sport. Uh, However, that is the strength working in the sports sector, I think. Uh, That might sound unnatural (laughs) for some people, but, um, well, I studied public law and policy at a graduate university. I I understand that there there are many people uh, in sports sector who majored in Sport-related subjects such as uh, sport science, uh, sport medicine, or sport management, and so on. But there are few people in sport sector who have knowledge about public law and policy. So uh, I can see sport sector from different perspectives, um, and having speciality that is not related to sport became strengths in my case. So that would also brought me to the uh, position at UNOSDP, I would say.
0: Mm, And did that help you get your foot in the door at Japan Sport Council as well?
1: Uh, Yes, I think so. Because uh, actually, I, by myself, I didn't expect working in the sports sector, (laughs) uh, to be honest. But yeah. I what I found is that there are similarities uh, between sport sector and public law and policy, and uh, that is the way we solve problems. And uh, so that what I, what I learned and studied uh, through public law and policy uh, when you encounter some social problems. Uh, we try to solve them whether from an economical manner or a, a communicational manner. When I worked and involved in the high-performance sport, uh, of course, they are a totally different view, But the the way we approach is the same things uh, in order to raise the high performance. Mm.
0: Thank you for, for those insights around the academic background and the value because I think for A lot of people early or even in the middle of their career perhaps thinking about a graduate degree there's often questions of what should i major in and should it be sport specific or should i get a phd in sport for development and peace if i want something really specific next and of course only that person can answer the question of what's best for them but i think it is helpful for people to know that there's lots of different pathways into the sector and that degrees and understanding of non-sport systems especially problem solving and perspectives of how to approach situations non-sport specific can provide a lot of value, not only to the person, but but to someone's employer as well. Um, And I can relate to that personally as well. I have no degree in sports and I'd like to think that I have some strengths as well. Atsuko, I'd I'd love to ask you to reflect a little bit on your experiences with UNOSDP in Geneva. I know you were there from 2014 to 2016. Can you share more about the role that you had there, and perhaps anything interesting that you think you learned from that experience?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so the United Nations Office on Sport for Development Peace. Uh, assisted the special advisor to the United Nations Secretary General on Sport for development peace. Um, I sometimes accompanied him to his missions and collected relevant information, prepared various written outputs such as background papers, briefing notes, policy analysis, and talking points, as well as drafting higher level, reports relevant for the special advisor and the UN bodies. And we also uh, supported member states to develop and adopt SDP policy and strategies, uh, providing decision makers with pertinent information, undertaking outreach activities and encouraging partnerships among relevant parties. And I was mainly in charge of administering uh, grant distribution to promote SDP projects around the globe, and um, by providing, including implementing organizations with technical support from the perspective of project management, including guidance to elaborate a project plan by drafting necessary legal documents and by liaising with the UN Glance Committee. And I also established and managed the selection process of grant proposals by drafting application forms, by setting criteria and by devising a scoring system to evaluate each project proposal fairly and objectively. So what I found dynamic working there was that I was able to be involved in the international policymaking process There were many tasks directly related to the Secretary-General, and for example, there was uh, an opportunity that I drafted Secretary-General's speech on the occasion of International Day of Sport for Development Peace. That kind of um, opportunity was indeed an asset (laughs) for my career, I would say.
0: That's huge. I mean, you said so many cool things just now, but drafting a speech on the International (laughs) Day of Sport for Development and Peace is a big one. I would love to ask you about one thing that you mentioned at SUCO, which was around setting criteria and scoring systems to evaluate sport for development proposals objectively. Mm -hmm. Do you remember anything about what types of things you or your team were looking for when making those objective assessments, because I I feel like that could help a lot of people or organizations better understand what funders are looking for, or even just how to communicate the value and the plans that they have for sport for development. Mm -hmm.
1: So for example, uh, whether there is a sustainability aspect embedded in the project plan and whether capacity building aspects are also considered or not. Such kind of things uh, we included as the criteria.
0: Mm, Yeah, those are really, really important. So not only thinking about what the project will do today, but thinking about the impact it might have years from now or if the program can be continued after the funding cycle and and what does that input impact look like is is really important. And uh, one kind of fun question at Suko, what was it like living in Switzerland (laughs) for you going from Japan to Switzerland? Was there any culture shock that you experienced?
1: Uh, well, what I really enjoyed there, uh, living in Geneva, was that uh, there, there are there are so many choices of mountains you can go for skiing.
0: Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> because I
1: love skiing, and <laughs> so I was so overwhelmed by the panoramic view of the mountains there. Uh, when you slope down from the top of the mountain you can see glaciers
0: did you go skiing a lot during your couple of years there
1: yes yes
0: yeah did have you been skiing before like skiing in japan or sure, other places sure. so you, you yes. knew what you were doing
1: okay <laughs> i actually i brought a ski board and boot there <laughs> from japan
0: You had to have a big suitcase. I'm very impressed. (laughs) Quick break here with a special message from your host. This episode is being released in celebration of the United Nations recognized international day of sport for development and peace, which takes place annually on April 6th. Each year, champions of the sport for development sector use this day to raise awareness of the incredible work that individuals and organizations are leading across the globe to leverage the potential power of sport and play to drive tangible impact and positive social change. I hope that listeners, whether an enthusiast, a skeptic, or a novice in this space, that you find the conversations I facilitate on the Inspire podcast to be informative and inspirational. If you enjoy this podcast, you would be a rock star if you went ahead and gave it a five-star review with a complimentary written sentence or two on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast platform. Enjoy listening and happy April 6th, everybody! Atsuko, now thinking about what you're doing at Japan Sport Council as head of International Sport for Development, I'm wondering if you can share more with us about the goals and activities of Japan Sport Council and anything that you oversee in your purview of international SDP.
1: Mm. Well, so as a national agency under the government, uh, Our organization, Japan Sport Councils, um, is trying to raise awareness of the usefulness of sport as a tool for uh, peace and development. And and also try to embed it into the local policy and uh, strategies of organizations as well. So in order to do such kind of things, um, we have conducted research and analysis of locals for for development peace policy. Uh, In Japan, there are 47 prefectures and more than 700 cities and so on. So targeting those municipalities, uh, we try to grasp the current situation of local municipalities and the potential of SDP and what what kind of challenges they are facing and what which areas uh, we could or they could embed SDP into their local policies and and not only dealing with the national issues, um we also have been involved in the global project as well because um based on the basic act on sport in Japan, promoting international exchanges and contribution through sport is one of the principles mentioned there. So, so that's why uh, we are eager to be uh, involved in the global activities as well. So in that perspective, um, our organizations actively involved in a global project to develop, test, and validate common indicators for measuring the contribution of physical uh, education, physical activity, and sport to prioritize SDGs and targets. That is the Action 2 of Kazan Action Plan um, adopted at the MINEP 6 in 2017. And together with the sport and deaf organizations in Switzerland, um, we tried to build capacity for those work at a strategic level in implementing policy and managing projects in the field of sport and sustainable development. So, so that's why we have developed a guidebook, uh, both in English and Japanese, you kindly uh, introduced.
0: That's wonderful. It sounds like you and Japan Sports Council do a lot of really important work with different stakeholders. It sounds like, to me, a lot of the work that you've done in recent years is really around advocacy and policy. And I recognize some of the other people I've interviewed are consider themselves practitioners and maybe are sport for development coaches or trainers or m and specialists and maybe are working with one community directly or one sports program directly. And so I think what's interesting about your experience is that Advocacy and policy is a different type of conversation and a really important piece of sport for development. I'm wondering if you can share anything that you've learned about the policy making process and perhaps sports' role in that or sport for development's role in that.
1: When you try to embed SDP into local policy or national policy. Uh, it's really important to include the related matters in the plan itself because the Japanese policy making process is based on the plan from the beginning. So the things included in the plan um, that, that is the that would become the basis for uh, practitioners. Uh, whether you need to, well, create budget for it or the create some specific concrete programs or measures or any other things. Um, they need some rationale. So the, the mentioning in the plan would be that rationale for them. So it's really important to include the SDP related matters in their local sport plan. So so that's why our organizations uh, try to approach that when they drafted or updated their local sport plan. That is the good timing to provide input from our side.
0: Atsuko, mm. I know there's another piece of this that you've been able to focus on, which is the voice of athletes. I'm curious why, Atsuko, do you feel it's so important to utilize the influential voice of athletes in society as a whole to promote sport for development and peace?
1: Mm. So. When I was in the high-performance sport field, um, I had worked with the Japanese canoe sprint team, and I accompanied them to every training camp overseas and um, for the occasion of the 2012 London Olympic Games. Um, I implemented on-site investigations of the venues or the Athlete Village, and we also prepared supporting base for that Olympic Games. So um, for those three years, I think uh, I have seen those Paralympians. just next to them and I understand that how hard it is for them to just gaining the position to participate in the Olympic Games and to compete there. every Every day they had just considering their own trainings and I don't think there there aren't any hour or free time for them. I have seen the things behind the scenes of the Olympic Games. I understand that how hard it is for athletes to just continue to compete in that national level and high-performance areas. But at the same time, I also thought so that if they could see the world outside of the sport then there would be many other things they could do for society because you know that um, depending on athletes but the government have invested in sport and high performance athletes as well and so, talking back to the first questions, um, I was wondering who would benefit from that sport budget that shouldn't be athletes solely. Athletes, because of the hard working and training, uh there are so many things they could acquire through their experiences. And they could have influential voices as well uh, that not so many people could have. So if they could make better use of that kind of influential power, then society as a whole could benefit more and and also the people who understand the reason the government invests in sports sector would increase much more, I think. So that kind of uh, circulation could (laughs) be beneficial for the stp sector as a result i think so so that's why i think yeah we should consider utilizing the influential voices of athletes much more Mm.
0: i agree and you mentioned some of the challenges with that whether it's the amount of time that athletes have to give to things other than their performance. And then I'm sure we could speak more if we had more time about the Olympic and Paralympic Games specifically, right? You mentioned London 2012, we have Rio 2016, and then of course, Tokyo 2020. We don't have enough time to get into that topic today, but maybe if I do a a part two conversation with you later this year, I would of course love to know your insights on those mega events, especially Tokyo, whether it's the athletes, or just the impact of sports um, but again today we're just talking about development and your career at Suko, from the perspective of business why do you feel it's important to manage and evaluate your sport for development and peace programs
1: from my observation um there are so many people who tries to implement sdp project Uh, only by their enthusiasm or uh, their passion (laughs) without any other tactics or knowledge, I would say. I think passion for sport or uh, uh, the feeling that they somehow try to do things better uh, using sport is important, but you you cannot do and you cannot manage things only by their passion. So so that's why I I think that sometimes it would be helpful if you could, review your programs or projects, um, from the perspective of business. When you see things, uh, from longer perspectives, then, uh, having the business mind, uh, and including the business perspective there would be beneficial, um, for them. So that, that's why, um, Something like not implementing your STP project or programs just based on their passion, but based on the project management or program management, then that would be a lot of potentials for them to manage their programs effectively and efficiently, I think.
0: Now that we know more about our guests' career journey, the rest of our conversation will allow us to have some fun and get to know our guest on a personal level through some rapid fire questions. We'll then start to wrap up with pointed questions focused on advice and how our listeners can transform interest into action. Enjoy the rest of the conversation. Itsuko, do you have a favorite sports memory?
1: As I said, I love skiing. And when I was an elementary school student, I won a gold medal in local competition of uh, giant swallow skiing. So that, that was a good memory.
0: That's amazing. Does that mean you're more interested in watching the Winter Olympics and Paralympics to kind of see those types of sports?
1: Mm. Yes, yes.
0: Yeah. Do you have a favorite um Olympic or Paralympic sport that you like to watch?
1: Uh, it's not uh Olympic or Paralympic sport, but I used to watch Formula 1 racing. Oh, really? So- <laughs> All
0: right, for all of my other footballers
1: listening,
0: Atsuko likes Formula One <laughs> and skiing. This is awesome. <laughs> and Atsuko, uh, do you have a favorite athlete in the world?
1: Nihal Shumaha. He he already retired from Formula One racing. Um, from help um, and uh, because he was so greedy for winning and that fascinated me i think
0: interesting in terms of japanese culture do you have a favorite aspect of the culture
1: japanese people try to lead between the lines or uh, (laughs) try to understand people's feelings or the atmosphere of the places uh by Leading people's faces, or <laughs> so that—that that is the Japanese strength as well as weakness, I think. Um, I, but I like it. Atsuko, <laughs> I—I haven't asked you this
0: before, but have you lived in Japan or in Tokyo the majority of your life, other than those couple of years in Geneva, Switzerland?
1: Uh. Yes, I in Japan. I I was born and brought up in Sendai, uh the northern part of Japan. So, and and I also lived in Chiba Prefecture next to Tokyo. Mm
0: wonderful wonderful and do you have any other fun hobbies or interests that we haven't discussed i know i've learned a few new things about you today from your skiing gold medal to your interest in formula one is there (laughs) anything that yeah that uh might interest
1: the audience a little bit well i i like playing violin Mm. Mm. and i also love cooking I often Mm -hmm. bake cookies and cakes and yeah, every day I cook.
0: (laughs) You know, do your sport activity and then eat the cookies and I'm sure they're (laughs) delicious. So (laughs) what advice might you give to someone who dreams to have a career in sport for development and peace?
1: Try to learn as many other thing, uh, outside of sports as possible. That is my advice
0: (laughs) and it works for you as you mentioned. So (laughs) that's really, yeah. Yeah. Personal advice that works for you. It's great. What resources are you aware of that you might encourage others to take advantage of? I know we've mentioned the Bridging the Divide in Sport and Sustainable Development. I'll definitely link that because that's in Japanese and in English, and it's a really robust
1: guidebook. Mm, I I will definitely recommend reading Harnessing the Power of Sport for a Development piece. That is the um, resource Published in 2008 uh, by SDP International Working Group and um, Right to Pray. And although uh, it was a little bit old resource, but for me, that was the Bible of this field. And you can grasp almost all of the things you need uh, working in SDP field, I think. So. I would recommend it. That's
0: perfect. Yeah, I just looked it up quickly, and I'll add that to the resource list that I'm creating because that it, I'm just saying it's a 324-page PDF from Right to Play with recommendations to governments <laughs> and lots of other things. So even though it, it was a few years prior, I'm really confident that folks can learn a lot from that. So thanks for that tip any advice regarding strategic networking or maybe any tips specific to finding a career in sport for development in Japan?
1: Difficult question. What was your answer if you ask such kind of question in your society? So
0: from my experience and what I've been taught over the years, in the United States especially, and in the sports sector with something so competitive where so many people want the same jobs, Uh it's really important to have personal and professional relationships with people. You can still get a job if you apply cold, but your likelihood of being shortlisted, having your resume looked at for more than five seconds really depends on somebody recognizing your name or personally recommending you to the hiring official. So when some people ask me, how do I get my foot in the door? Or is there any specific advice around networking? I I tell them that and then a few things that help for me in terms of building relationships. But I wasn't sure if that was the case in Japan, like if you need to know people in order to get hired or even progress in your career.
1: Um, the situation is a little bit different in Japan. So, of course, networking is important, but there aren't so many cases because of the connection with something, someone, uh, you can gain some position or something Mm. I would say.
0: That's probably a better way of doing it honestly (laughs) because it's more based off of merit and qualifications but every culture every industry is different so (laughs) so thank you for those tips. Well my final question at Suko that I get excited to ask all of my guests is what or who inspires you and if you feel comfortable I would love to ask you to answer in Japanese and then perhaps give us an English translation.
1: It's not related to STP though, but what I have always in my mind is that Kiyo that means, um, calpe in Latin and so make the most of today, uh, if I translate it into English.
0: Well, you went above and beyond my question because you gave me three languages, not just two. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Itsuko. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Erika. I really enjoyed discussing with you. <laughs>
0: thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Inspira podcast with Erica Mueller Chen. I really hope you enjoyed the episode and found it useful. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources. Specifically, my link tree is there with tons of awesome information. Feel inspired to take action today? I've got three action steps you can take right now because you know your girl likes calls to action and the number three. So here goes. Number one, sign up for my mailing list by adding your email address. Number two, Check out my global resource hub and send it to someone in the sector who may be interested. Number three, buy me a coffee. Or if you know me, this will actually be a hot cocoa. Your support will help make sure this passion project prospers. All of these links are available by visiting my link tree. Until next time, stay inspired.